Hi, everyone. It's Jody, the host of Mommy Brain Revisited. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Bridget Callaghan, an assistant professor at UCLA, and we're going to be talking about recent research she's done on memory during pregnancy. Sounds dry. I want to say it's a pleasure to have you here and to be able to reconnect, although I can't remember where we've met in the past, but I'm sure we have, Um, but to talk about your recent study on memory and motherhood or memory during pregnancy, I should say. Mm -hmm. Uh, And before we get into the details of the study, I thought I'd ask, I mean, how did you get interested in this topic? It's funny, you know, I think when you look back at your trajectory you can kind of pinpoint a time but I don't think that that point in time like way back when was when I really knew I was interested in this topic but I think that really planted the seed and then it's kind of stuck with me throughout my career so um you know back when I was in graduate school I was sharing an office with my very best friend, Candace Farson, um, which was really wonderful and, and lucky. And we had a great little office space. And, you know, I was doing my PhD in animal rodent behavioral neuroscience, um, looking at like early life stress and how that influences brain and behavioral development. And Candace was doing her project, um, not exactly on pregnant mothers, but her um her PhD advisor, her mentor was Julie Henry. And at that time, Julie uh, was working on pregnancy brain and and this kind of baby brain. And so she was writing this big systematic review that she ultimately published in 2007, um, Henry and Rendell, that I I cited a lot in that paper. Yes. (laughs) And I know this review. I was just looking at it again the other day. Oh, so that's such a small world. Yeah. It's a really small world. Yeah. So she would come into the office and talk about baby brain and, and, you know, she was doing some studies on the time I think looking at um, EEG and and she was also doing some you know face face muscle movement stuff and we were talking about Botox and how that influences that research and I remember all these conversations we were having at the time but baby brain was one of them and so I think that I don't know just kind of stuck with me I thought that was really interesting I really liked the systematic review that was done there and you know you can't escape hearing about baby brain as a woman you hear about it all all the time and certainly as a mom I heard about it a lot um so the opportunity kind of arose because um you know fortuitously we needed a project for me to work on while I was waiting for a grant to come in I was at Columbia University uh, with Nim Tottenham she studies developmental plasticity basically and um, another wonderful researcher just up the road at Columbia Medical School, Catherine Monk, um, was doing a lot of work on pregnancy brain, and I had a little grant uh, to work with her, and so it just kind of came about as a result of that. Oh, cool. And, well, before we get into the study, why don't you tell us what you do in your other research outside of this? Yeah. So um, this study kind of feels like it sits outside of what I typically do, but it is conceptually related to what I do. So basically my developmental program broadly looks at developmental plasticity. So I look at how the brain changes in typically early childhood through to adolescence in response to the environment. And one of the most important or potent environments in that period of time is the parent 
child relationships or the home environment. And so I look a lot at how early caregiving experiences, particularly experiences of adversity, influence brain development in children and adolescents, how it influences the communication between the brain and the body. I also look at things like the gastrointestinal microbiome and how that intersects with the brain and ultimately how these experiences lead to both mental and physical health or disorder outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, But because I'm interested in developmental plasticity, I also like to look at other stages of the lifespan where there's a lot of change or flux and pregnancy is one of those times. So I like to look at pregnancy both because it's part of the parent-child relationship, so it's kind of like that transgenerational uh, impact or piece, and I also like to look at, it, look at it simply in terms of, you know, a, a time where there's a lot of brain and bodily change. And so looking at how that influences mental health and, and outcomes. So as a developmental period in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I think it is really, a developmental period for even for the non-birthing parents. But the yeah. physiology and the neurophysiology of pregnancy itself is quite fascinating. It really is. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about the study. Okay, where to start? So um, so this is a study where, so basically some of the background of the, of the study, so this field. Um, so baby brain is a topic that has um, been around for a really long time. So people have long been interested in the experience of pregnancy and how it affects brain and behavior and the, you know, in the peripartum period. And, you know, when you look back at kind of ancient literature, there are a lot of interesting terms there that I'm sure you're familiar with. So there's one called um, benign encephalopathy of pregnancy. <laughs> Love that one. I'm glad it didn't take off. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't take off. It's a good one. Uh, it feels very pathological. Um, and then there are other terms that are um, kind of more psychoanalytic in nature. So there's Donald Winnicott's um, primary maternal preoccupation. And so um, we were kind of interested by these ideas on the one hand of, so the adult neuroscience literature and the rodent neuroscience literature, mostly supporting adaptive brain changes that would aid the mother or the, you know, the birthing parent in all the tasks that they need to do to support their baby. So in rodent, things like predation, foraging, um, you know, spatial learning and memory, so figuring out where where things are in the environment. Those were all things that seemed to be consistently enhanced in the rodent behavioural and neuroscience studies. And then similarly, in the human neuroscience literature, there's been shown, you know, lots of brain changes, you know, brain responsiveness to own baby cry versus another baby's cry, brain changes that seem to be associated with subsequent um, attachment between the mother and child. So a lot of that literature seems to suggest adaptive changes. And then on the other hand, (laughs) we have this baby brain view that seems to suggest, in short, that women become stupid when they're pregnant. Mm, I talk about this too. I mean, but also just to say that that rodent and human literature is postpartum as well. Yes, postpartum, yeah. But yeah, but I feel like this area of research, we lump everything into like the maternal experience. And in fact, there's so many stages. And I think that that's what's interesting to get at. I also wanted to to mention that you're talking baby brain. I think sometimes baby brain is also lumped in with mommy brain and mom brain. 
even though some people say that's just postpartum and baby brain is just prepartum, mm-hmm. the terminology yeah. is a whole mix. The whole but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this also this whole idea that we get stupid when we're pregnant, yeah. that again is just, yeah, I feel like there are cultural and historical factors that play a role in that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's a, yeah, there's a, a long history. And I mean, there's there's no shortage of anecdotal reports of women talking about memory changes during pregnancy. So clearly there's something there. But to really understand that, you need to appreciate the fact that women are aware of this concept from very early in life you know people you know they might hear their mothers talking about it they might hear their friends talking about it when they go through pregnancy they're certainly going to see it in the media because there's no shortage of stories and and articles talking about this all of the time and there's a real um, strong history as you've just mentioned um, lots of historical factors playing into the way that we conceptualize these changes during pregnancy so it doesn't necessarily mean that the anecdotal reports are um, that there's going to be clear empirical evidence that is supporting those. There, there are other factors that can kind of play into that. So yeah, really there was this, I guess, competing literature and definitely it's a messy literature, but on the one hand supporting, I guess, adaptive changes, uh, which seem to make evolutionary sense, certainly, versus these I, you know, stupidity changes, I suppose, or you know things yeah. that are not going so well. And so we really wanted to take a look at that. And one of the things that we noticed in the literature um, that has looked at cognitive changes during pregnancy and in the early postpartum period is that most of the literature has used standardized cognitive tests, which is great. That's a wonderful place to start. Um, But these are like intelligence tests, essentially. And, you know, if we go back to the Henry and Rendell um, meta-analysis, What we find is that although there have been lots of studies looking at cognitive changes in pregnancy, when you look at them all together in a meta-analysis framework, there's not a huge amount of evidence that there are big cognitive changes in pregnancy. And the only changes that tend to kind of come out as being reliable are the fact that pregnant women seem to do a little bit worse on tasks like verbal paired associates and free recall and those are both tasks they are memory tasks but they're really difficult tasks that require you know a lot of prefrontal cortex um they're not you know purely hippocampus based and they're really difficult tasks so we kind of wanted to look at a task that might more closely tap into the hippocampus which is really a brain region that seems to be um, undergo, I guess, positive, if you could say that, or or adaptive plastic changes during the pregnancy period, at least from the rodent studies. If there were a brain region to do that, it seems to be the hippocampus. Uh, So we wanted to look at a task that was more hippocampally based. And we also wanted to look at items that were ecologically relevant to the experience of pregnancy. That is where you got me in your Twitter (laughs) summary that I was like thank you universe thank you Bridget I should say because I I actually entered grad school to do human research on this topic and ended up having SARS pandemic in Toronto Mm -hmm. 
I was in Toronto at the time with Lisa Galea. Um, and so I, I switched to rodents because no one wants to come out with their child during a pandemic as we all Mm. just lived through. Uh, Mm. um, but that was something we had talked about, but then, you know, this literature is so sparse, no Mm. one's done very much stuff over the years. And then no one is looking at memory for specific things that are important for parenting. Yeah. And also like on top of it, like you said, there's memory is more complex than just uh, memory. Like we have the free recall, Mm -hmm. we have like memory in itself is like a huge area that can be broken down into a lot of different factors and processes, Mm -hmm. which I think we also forget with this baby brain research, right? That it's not just, oh, my memory's gone. It's actually seems to be specific from what we're starting to see. Anyway, but yes, this is where you got me on your Twitter (laughs) feed. I'm just saying, I was like, oh, thank God. Anyway. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, um, what I think what meta-analyses sometimes do, I think it's so helpful and wonderful, but I think what that meta-analysis was doing was saying, look, there's a big question about like, do these cognitive changes exist? Here are all these studies that have assessed it. Not really. They don't really exist. And then it felt like it kind of put a cap on it and everyone was like, okay, well, that's solved and we'll go off to something else. Of course, that's not true. And people have been investigating yeah. since then, but um, you know, I think the area is really ripe for new analyses, new techniques, new uh, paradigms, new behavioral paradigms to, to really look at this. And, and as you say, looking at the ecological relevance, I think is a really key part of yeah. this. Yeah, definitely. Uh, also for the listeners at home, meta-analysis is like kind of a type of review um, where they take a lot of different, the data from a lot of different studies and kind of reanalyze it to get a bigger picture just for a kind of take-home definition of that. But it's, yeah, I think that this is also um, very valuable, like these types of review papers and meta-analysis to give us kind of a general idea. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, to start a discussion around what do we yeah. need to to investigate? I always think if, you know, 80% of women are saying that they have some sort of brain fog and memory loss and something like that, mm-hmm. then there must be something there. Yeah. Sure, maybe it's subtle, but I think it deserves investigation. And I also think if 80% of men were complaining about their memory when they were pregnant or their wife was pregnant, we would probably know a lot more. Um, we would know a lot more. Not to, <laughs> you know, not to be like feminist or anything, but the point is, is this is an like 80% of pregnant women complain of a memory change, yet we are like, well, there's a little bit maybe there, but really mm-hmm. how many studies have been done? really mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. maybe 20 yeah not many I, I mean, there's not a whole lot of research in this area so not. yeah and you know our study as I'll go into we didn't find any evidence for for baby brain I suppose um and I'll go into it and in fact we kind of saw the opposite we found evidence for adaptive changes but certainly that's not the end of the story either because as you say there there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that women are experiencing this I experienced it very recently it's hard like while you're going through the sleep loss the huge emotional strain and life change of having a new baby particularly as a first-time mum but I'm sure um you know I haven't experienced a second child yet but I'm sure as an anytime mum you know definitely word finding was something that I found really challenging at that time even my husband was finding that challenging we would have these conversations where we're like I just I don't there is a word it's a simple word and I don't know what it is and it just took forever to kind of bring up 
So I'm still really interested in understanding what these cognitive changes are, um, what underlies this brain fog that we experience and, and really looking at different factors like sleep, for example, is a really big one that has for some reason been seriously understudied <laughs> in this field. <laughs> Yes, yes, another one. Although there was one study I was looking at uh, yesterday, they showed that the sleep, the amount of sleep the night before was related with the mom's memory performance. So they, it was a, but it's like, I mean, these are just little tiny bits in in a few Mm. papers. And so I I feel like, yeah, definitely an investigation needs to be done. But on that note, I also feel around this, like, maybe sociocultural context, we are looking, we know we should expect to Mm -hmm. not have memory that's working as well. And I think we focus on this or we notice it more than all those amazing things we're doing, like keeping a baby alive, Mm because that's pretty important. Um, But we don't feel, I think we just don't talk about those things that are maybe more unconscious as being as important. Uh, But yeah. Anyway, I too had the yeah. memory uh, verbal deficits. I still do, as you can see, see right now. I have two kids. It's been 10 years. Not to scare you. Can't find my words. Uh, I, but I think it also has to do with just the number of different things we are doing as yeah. well, often coordinating our lives. And then, yeah, sleep and other factors play a role. Incredible. Yeah, it's an incredible, and it's an incredible change like the amount of change from pre to postpartum cannot be underestimated it's tremendous so I think you know there are going to be changes absolutely and to expect them um you know obviously but you know exactly what to look out for and expect is right like you know if you're thinking about the wonderful things that your brain is doing and how your brain is changing in these amazing ways and the cognitive advantages that you might be experiencing as a result of pregnancy maybe we would look out for and notice those more and maybe feel a little bit better about ourselves in in the pregnant and postpartum uh, state and that would be beneficial to women I think yeah yeah. Anyway, so, okay, as we got off on a tangent, which I think is valuable, but let's go back to the study then. So you used e- ecologically relevant stuff, such as? So we basically had, and, you know, it was one step in terms of ecological relevance, but there's a lot more that can be done for really refining this stimuli, of course. But basically we had um, two different stimuli sets. So we had one that was, you know, focused on kind of adult life. So it was really um, kind of adult um, sorry, office environment stuff. So we had like staplers and desks, chairs, pens, you know, stuff that you might find around an office, so really an adult environment. And then we had a baby set of stimuli that were things that pregnant women would have seen more frequently, like jumpsuits and pacifiers and, I don't know, change mats and diapers and all sorts of things or nappies, whatever, whatever country you're in. Uh, what do they call them over there? <laughs> Are they only nappies in Australia? Uh, well, it goes by nappies more because with the British influence. But in Canada, right. we say diapers. We say diapers too. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, diapers or nappies, we had lots of different, lots of different kind of baby stimuli. So, you know, one step further in that realm, I think would be nice to look at more attachment related stimuli. I don't know what those would look like. Maybe pictures of mum and baby or parent and baby bonding, um, those sorts of things. But anyway, this is what we did. So adult stimuli, baby stimuli. And so then we had, uh, we invited uh, women or birthing people in 
when they were 32 weeks pregnant and we test, we trained them there. So we showed them all of these stimuli and the stimuli were presented on top of background. So scenes like a scene of the Grand Canyon or a scene of, I don't know, some lake in France. Um, so nice scenes and stimuli in front of them. So it was an associative task. And what their job was, was to remember what, which item went in which scene. So they had to remember that pair. Oh, so that's a bit tricky. Yeah, it was tricky. It was a tricky little task. So we had all of the adult stimuli first, then all of the baby stimuli. So they kind of remembered it in blocks or learned about it in blocks. We counterbalanced. So we switched that order around just to make sure that that wasn't causing any effects. And then we tested them four weeks later. So when they were 32 weeks pregnant. And then we had a group of women who we were contrasting the pregnant people with, and these uh, females were never pregnant before. So they were completely what we call malliparous, never pregnant females. And so they learned the stimuli at just some stage in their life, and then four weeks later we tested them. And so we have two different tests. So we have immediately after they learn, and so this test we can consider to be the information that they've taken in. And then we have a test four weeks later. So this is the information that they retained over time. And we have two different types of memory. So we have, you know, the stimuli, so adult and baby stimuli. And we have the associative memory that I mentioned. So which item went with this scene, mm -hmm. which is a really tricky one. And that's pretty hippocampus dependent. So it really depends on the integrity of the hippocampal circuit and hippocampal function. Um, and we verified that, you know, that's been shown many times before, but, you know, we verified that in this very same task, different stimuli, but across development. Um, so it's definitely a hippocampus dependent task. And then we had a type of test where we just showed them the items and we said, did we show you this earlier? Is this something that you saw before? And we, in, in there we had some trick items or practice, so um, foils, I guess we call them. So, you know, we... This one you should say old because you definitely saw it before. And this one is actually one that you haven't seen before. So hopefully you'll say, no, I didn't see it before. So that's called recognition memory. And it's relatively less dependent on the hippocampus. Not completely independent, but relatively less. Okay. So for the immediate memory, so this learning, what did they learn? We found evidence for what I would call attentional reorientation during pregnancy. So specifically for that recognition memory, so did you see this item before, yes or no? We found that pregnant women relative to never pregnant women showed better memory for baby items than the never pregnant women. Um, but there was no difference between the two groups for the adult items. So they didn't show a decrease in their memory performance in one domain and an increase in the baby domain. They actually just showed, showed fine memory in the adult domain, but an, a bump in memory for the baby domain. So this kind of suggests that like their attention is being kind of maybe not even reoriented, but expanded out towards these baby relevant or parenting relevant um, stimuli. And they're able to take in more information about those stimuli. Okay. I, I mean, I love this because this is what I would expect. I, yeah. I'm guessing like that they would yeah, yeah. attend to more to those things they're going to be using yeah. or that would be important for exactly. them as a parent. 
Exactly. And, you know, it's not dissimilar to studies that have been done in the past in the domain of expertise. So, for example, um, people who are navigators seem to be better at um, reading maps and have better memory for spatial locations on maps. You know, the taxi drivers are better at maps as well. Um, people who are experts, you know, instrument players, whatever instrument it is, you know, show better memory for you know, different musical notes and things like that. Clearly, I'm I'm not an instrument player. <laughs> I have no idea what the language even is, but there's definitely lots of research out there on expertise effects. And so that's what I would kind of classify this as. You're kind of developing this um, expertise in being a parent. So that was one thing that we found. So the next thing that we found was when we looked at the delay memory, so four weeks after they learned. Okay. And here, the only effect we found was with, was with the associative memory. So which item went with this particular context? And so what we found here is what I would categorize as a generalized cognitive enhancement. That is, the pregnant people relative to the never pregnant people showed better associative memory for both the baby items and the adult items. Okay. So the pregnant people showed better associative memory for all the items for all the items so they could pair it with the the scenery background better yeah exactly yeah that's interesting really interesting so it's a cognitive enhancement in pregnancy which is something that honestly I hoped to find um because I wanted to be like yes (laughs) yes we can do stuff and do it well and it's not an expertise effect because, you know, they're gaining expertise in baby items, certainly, but they also did better on the adult items and they're not necessarily gaining more expertise in, in adult domains. In, in fact, probably the opposite. So it's not an expertise effect when we look at the associative kind of long-term memory. And it seems to be just this general cognitive enhancement. Maybe your hippocampus is working better. It's really good at at these pairing items, you know, thinking of finding things um, in the environment. And I think that, honestly, not that we should do this too much in science, but that does map onto my anecdotal experience as well. There was definitely a brain fog, definitely difficult to to remember names of things for sure. But when my husband asked me, like, "Where's where's that little... I don't know, sock of his. And I would be, I would like have the picture of his baby drawer in my mind. And I'd be like, pull the drawer. It's like in the top right-hand corner underneath this thing. You know, those types of memory, I think were, um, were definitely enhanced during, um, during pregnancy and potentially even into the postpartum as well. So I think it's an important study for a couple of reasons. One is the ecological relevance of the stimuli for sure. But the fact that we also see this generalized cognitive enhancement on this, you know, very hippocampally dependent task. And it's only for the long-term memory. I think that's another interesting part of this study is that lots of times we don't, I mean, not just within the pregnancy and postpartum literature, but in memory research in general, surprisingly, we don't look at very long-term retention. So um, I think that was a neat thing about the study where we were able to see the Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's so good. So good. (laughs) Because it also, I mean, I love the hippocampus too, although you'd need to image it to really see what's going on. But the point is, it's showing this connection between the hippocampus, and it does change a lot during pregnancy in the postpartum period, but also this memory um, enhancement of certain hippocampal dependent memories. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. 
It's really cool. I wish that we had been able to finish scanning people. We had started, but then COVID ruined everything. So hopefully in the future, we'll be able to, you know, really verify the, the role of the hippocampus in these um, cognitive enhancements. But yeah, it's a neat, cool. neat finding. So, and what about sleep? Because I did see that you looked at sleep in the paper. So what happened with that? Yeah, so, um, you know, there were differences with sleep, of course, between the two groups. Um, you know, we measured sleep in both groups. We um, we did see differences between sleep, but what we did with the sleep was just to control for sleep. So we had analyses controlling for sleep, controlling for depression symptoms, controlling for parity, so how many previous pregnancies the pregnant people had. Yeah, so we had lots of different control analyses in that and, and these cognitive effects were not, um, it didn't wash out when we controlled for those. So you controlled for these different factors like mood, sleep, parity, just to make sure that what you're seeing was a function of the pregnancy itself and not these other factors that kind of combine, can often combine with it. Uh, so then my question though would be, what about dads? I know you didn't do it, but what do you think? People don't really look at dads or partners. Partners, yes. People don't often look at partners. There are research groups certainly that are doing a lot of work in this field now, which I think is really great and really exciting. You know, similarly with um, parents who have adopted. So it's a really neat thing to look at uh, the brains of people who haven't actually given birth, but who are nonetheless new parents and going through all of the stuff that new parents go through. So we haven't done it. What would I expect? I think there are going to be adaptive changes as well. I think yeah. the role of the partner of a birthing person is is really amazing. Like they're going through so, so many different things and they're unique. They're not the same as the person who's birthed and um, is potentially breastfeeding or, you know, the person who's taking on maybe more of the caregiving potentially. So potentially I would think that maybe it'll be changes in different brain regions different types of behaviors that might be enhanced but nonetheless yeah I find like I always ask about partners or dads or vice versa depending on who I'm talking to and what we're talking who I'm yeah who I'm talking to and what we're talking about but I find we often don't look at both parents in the same study Mm -hmm. I don't know why I guess it's funding yeah it's always funding (laughs) yes it's always funding everybody listening money actually rules the research Mm -hmm. world it really does like trying to get funding is hard when you're just looking at like one group so I'm like I'm looking at pregnant people and this is going to be hard enough to get funding on that but to add in this additional component of pregnant people and their partner and the the association between the two and you know, maybe the pregnant people are the same sex as their partner. Maybe they're a different sex and there are all these variables. And I think reviewers are just like, ah, I can't deal with it. And yeah. Yeah. Or single parents is is another one as well, right? Yeah. And then non-birthing parents. I mean, this whole world of essentially parental brain and cognitive changes with parenting, Mm -hmm. we have really scratched the surface, especially with the cognitive changes, like these memory, this baby brain idea. We haven't really Mm -hmm. developed our understanding of it fully yet, but you have contributed now. You've set the bar higher with the (laughs) ecologically relevant stimulus. And I I think that that's where people have to build on this. 
that's yeah, where we should have yeah. been 20 years ago. Yeah, I think, you know, I think so. And that's not to say that there's not great research out there. I think there's fantastic research in this field. And um, you know, certainly we have, um, you know, in formulating our, our ideas around this, we have benefited enormously from that fantastic research. Um, and I think it was very thorough in terms of like standardized cognitive assessments early on. I think we know a lot about that field now, but um, I guess for students listening or people who are interested in beginning research in this field, there's so much more that needs to be done and there's so much room for innovation here as well. Yeah, for sure. So what's next for you on your research program? So um, I have plans actually for um, some more uh, pregnant people studies. So we have um, a grant, a couple grants in at the moment that hopefully will get funded. So we're really interested in looking at, um, at the physical and mental health correlation post-pregnancy. Uh, we're interested in looking at how pregnant people kind of adapt to the bodily changes that occur during pregnancy, just understanding how, you know, everything changes. Your size changes, obviously, enormously. Uh, your hormones are massively changing. Uh, your brain is changing. Uh, and your relationships are changing, your relationship with yourself, with your work, with your partner. So there are just so many different um, things that are happening during this time. So we're very interested in beginning to you know, probe into that a little bit further. And part of that will be kind of continuing these um, investigations on cognitive changes during pregnancy, hopefully with fMRI to, to understand in more detail. Uh, so hopefully our funders like that. And we do have some studies um, that kind of take more of that transgenerational uh, focus or approach. So looking at mums who've experienced early life trauma and then subsequently have had children and so the impacts of that past trauma for mums on their um, parenting behaviours and, and outcomes for children is something that we're doing some work on now. We've got a paper um, under review that's looking at that. So, um, yeah, definitely more in this space. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there's so much to be investigated. But I think I love this also intergenerational idea. I mean, because what we experience early in life impacts us for the rest of our life to some degree. I mean, mm -hmm. we can work through lots of things, but there are some impacts. And especially I think when it comes to parenting, often there's people start to feel the effects of the early life more maybe when they're a parent. You know, there are these transition stages in your life, parenting being a, a really big one where it kind of forces you to take more of a global, like a step back and a more global perspective on your life. And so some of those things that have happened earlier, the way that you were parented, the way that you, I don't know, approach things early in your life, um, some of those big existential questions can can come up during these times. And those are really challenging to work through um, psychologically. So I think it's a really, it's a vulnerable time, pregnancy, postpartum, parenthood, and it's a time for enormous, you know, personal growth as well. So, you know, I think that's a really nice thing that we, we understand now from developmental psychology and psychiatry research is that these periods of change, both in development as well as, you know, in adulthood for, for other, you know, developmental parts, stages of the life are, um, are times where there's both vulnerability and that goes hand in hand with um, opportunity. Yeah. And I was going to ask you what would be a take home message, but you did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me.
questions, comments, suggestions, get in touch at Mommy Brain Revisited on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can also contact me on my website at jodipaluski.com. That's J-O-D-I-P-A-W-L-U-S-K-I.com. Looking forward to hearing from you.